from the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services, USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the official podcast of the Archdiocese. Here now your moderator, Public Affairs Director Taylor Henry. Thank you, Elizabeth LaSalle. Today it is my privilege to be talking to Father Bill Apple, a lieutenant in the United States Navy, former Marine helicopter pilot, and now based at Norfolk. Welcome, Father. Thanks. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. So uh, tell me a little bit about your background. You came to the priesthood uh, through the military itself. You were in the Marines for, what, 12 years? I'm a Marine, yes, and that's... uh, uh, it was eight active uh, at that point, uh, kind of discerned. Um, well, at least there's there something in prayer that's uh, kind of nagging at me. So uh, it's time to time to answer the call. And uh, tell us, first of all, a little, bit, a little bit about your life as a Marine. You deployed to uh, Iraq. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, share some stories. See, well, three of them were uh, in the air and the one was on the ground with uh, Anglico. Uh, it was a great, uh, great, uh, great tour there. Um but from the point of a perspective of a vocation, uh, really, I kind of had everything going for me in the world, right? So it's pretty prestigious to be able to have done something for your country like that. Um, and it's uh, there were things in the world that were going right for me in terms of I had a real estate investing, you know, probably half a million dollars soaked in, in uh, sunk in that, um, and uh, uh, a few girls coming out of the woodwork actually too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, so everything in the world said stay where you are and then uh, uh, in the heart and soul you come to something different in prayer so um, but the deployments to answer your question were you know, uh, three to Iraq uh, and then one aboard ship uh, in the Middle East and Mediterranean and uh, including uh, the Fallujah in 04 when we started out uh, cording off the city there in the spring uh, so and that was a really tough time to be in Iraq uh, yes yeah we were kinetic uh, so for about uh, three weeks straight we'd probably get shot at every day and the Return fire. You come home either because we ran out of fuel or we ran out of ammo. So, what was it that made you start to think about the priesthood? You know, I had been praying the liturgy of the hours even then. Uh, so, from in the middle of flight school, um, and I had a priest uh, uh, introduce it uh, to a prayer group, and I, I said, you know, sometimes a priest uh, will speak to the congregation, and uh, it seems like he's speaking directly to you. Uh, would you say that this form of prayer uh, is uh, what allows you to do that? And without hesitation, he said, yes, you know, <laughs> this is our lifeline to God um, in prayer, keeping, you know, sanctifying the day. And uh, uh, he, I said, uh, the second question was, can anybody pray this? And uh, so I kept up with that prayer. When we come back from combat missions, there was always uh, one of the hours that I could be praying, you know, and the Psalms, John Paul II said, captures, uh, capture every emotion. So uh, that was a really neat way to stay in touch uh, with God. And then um, uh, once you get kind of a spiritual director and someone who kind of helps you discern whether or not uh, what you're hearing is from God, uh, where to go, you know, uh, how your prayer can maybe be reflected off of another person um, in life, uh, then you kind of start to hone your decisions. You know, am I, am I doing this for me or am I doing this uh, for a greater good? Um, and in the light of those uh, ways, uh, I guess, of looking at your own life. Um, came to answer this call. And I suppose what motivated you to join the Marines to start with and what sustained you there was 
the fact that you were being of service to your country. That's very perceptive, uh, Taylor. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, um, uh, similarities. Uh, so uh, gift of self, you know, uh, obedience, uh, lessening of self for a higher cause. Uh, those are all in common, I think, with the uh, military, uh, exemplified by the Marines, I think, and, uh, and the priesthood. And uh, from a spiritual standpoint, how do you develop that kind of spiritual discipline? Well, the, the first uh, step in, in any uh, spiritual discipline is listening, right? So uh, it's not just so we should pray and, and we should ask God for things. That's that's right. We should speak in prayer, but uh, but you also take the time to listen, you know. And, and then that's only half of it. Once you believe, once you hear what you believe is from God, then then uh, the second half is to really uh, have the courage to do it. <laughs> so, so, so when did you um, leave the Marines? Let's see. Um, See, I entered in uh, OCS in 99, and I uh, commissioned in 2000, and uh, left active duty uh, December of uh, 2008. And did you go into the seminary right away, or? I went into into the seminary in August of 2008. So you had this in mind even before you uh, left the (laughs) board. There was a bit of an overlap there, yes, Uh, yeah. Well, uh, so what a contrast. I mean, you're flying helicopters and fighting a war in Iraq, and now you're in a seminary in peace and quiet and worshiping the Lord. You know, my mom said, uh, I'm so glad you're not uh, deploying anymore and that you'll be safe. And I told her, uh, uh, you know, Mom, the stakes are higher here. So I, I really think when a priest puts on that collar and stands uh, in front of the congregation, uh, he stands uh, between, uh, between hell and, and earth. And, and as a leader says, don't attack my flock, attack me. So really by putting on that collar, a priest says uh, th- this is the person that's going to lead these people and the devil knows who to attack there. So really the stakes are not for your body anymore. The stakes are for your soul. But in the same breath, he stands between heaven and earth and draws down heaven for the people. You think the more you grow in holiness, the more you become a target for Satan? I, I would think so, but uh, if we're if we're doing it right, and Padre Pio, you know, the, <laughs> we're we're uh, uh, we we would all be a, a target in that in that way. So, uh, but there's no fear there. Uh, Teresa of Avila um, had difficulty sleeping one night. She knew it was uh, supernatural, and uh, there was something different about this. She rolled over and found herself nose to nose with Satan, and her response was, "Oh, it's just you." And then she rolled over peacefully and went to sleep. Uh, so he can't do anything without our permission, uh, and that's true in anybody who's living a holy life, not just priests. So tell me a little bit about your uh, uh, assignment to uh, Norfolk. Uh, how long have you been there? What is your work like now? Barely a year, uh, actually. So chaplain school a year ago, went right to Norfolk and deployed uh, within a matter of weeks, really, months. Um, so uh, Generally, the deployment cycle uh, for me has been kind of a nine-month cycle where we, we do a one-month exercise, do one month at home, and then uh, seven months at sea. And uh, this will be my second year in a row of doing that same uh, tempo. Yeah. And so your seven months at sea, what is that like? Do you say daily mass, or is it mass just on weekends? How does that go? Thank you. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, a lot of it's up to us. So chaplains do things differently. Um, the way I started doing it was not the way i finished uh, doing it but uh, at all times i had daily mass uh, most of the time it was just me um uh, toward the end i started you know really um uh, kind of missing being able to pray in front of the blessed sacrament so i uh, would do i had a small monstrance with me and i would do exposition after daily mass even if it was uh, by myself uh it was really uh, really special uh one of the highlights for me was a young um 
uh, non-denominational Christian. He, he kind of leaned toward the Baptist um, spirituality. Uh, never gave a, a hint of converting to Catholicism before, during, or after, but he would frequent and, and very frequently uh, attend daily Mass. And, uh, and occasionally he would do the Holy Hour with me after Mass. And you really pray in contemplation. Yeah, it, was, it was beautiful. We've heard a lot about the chaplain shortage in all branches of the service, the Navy included. Have you experienced any uh, fallout from that? Are the non-Catholic chaplains proselytizing? Uh, is there a gap there where the, the Catholics may be losing some of the faithful to other denominations? Thank you. I've heard horror stories about uh, maybe relationships between Protestant Catholics, and I have not experienced any of that. Uh, some of my best friends from chaplain school were of other faiths. Um, I really believe you get high enough up in theology that you, you have, it's much easier to find what we have in common, um, and without saying that we have everything <laughs> in common, obviously. Uh, but um, uh, the shortage certainly hurts us, you know, in terms of not, not in terms of numbers and recruitment like an athletic team. But in terms of being able to satisfy what people need spiritually, uh, so when they when they want something, they're pining for something. You know, the sacraments are there to fulfill a need. So I, someone says, "I need confession. I, I need the Eucharist. I need to have these these things satiated in my life." That's what we need chaplains for. We're, we're not. Um, you know, and I don't want to make it seem like we're, we're kind of recruiting for a baseball team and our numbers are better than others. Uh, I want more to to be able to satiate the needs of the people. The chaplain is also unique in that you're the only officer that any other officer or an enlistee can come and talk to and it not have any chance of getting back to right. the command. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience as far as that goes. Is that a valuable role? Extremely. Um, and it's tough to convince, I think, commanders who are new to it. Uh, my experience has been the Marines are not new to it. We were briefed on how to use the chaplain uh, as a second lieutenant in infantry uh, officer course. Um, but uh, we, uh, the, the Navy commanders are 05. Uh, they, they've never heard anything formal on how to use a chaplain. Uh, just kind of, well, we want to keep ourselves legally uh, <laughs> uh, clean. So we're going to give you the space that you need. And, uh, and then you, you do your thing, chaps. You know, that's, that's good. So they're very courteous, but um, uh I think need to be informed more. I think that would help services all around if there were a formal, uh, even just a one-hour module on on how to use a chaplain, really. But uh, confidentiality is extremely valuable. A lot of sailors have come to me, officer and enlisted. Um, and uh, it's not that I am providing a solution or working things out. Uh, I'm very quick to defer to proper professionals, you know, uh, psychologists or, or even uh, chain of command, you know. Um, the command master chief, for example, uh, let them know he, he, he's someone you can talk to if they're intimidated. But um, sometimes uh, even just having them talk things out really, really does uh, help. And then to have a person who can kind of be the traffic cop and direct them, you know, is also very helpful. And they would not have come if they didn't think they had confidentiality. And what's the range of things they would come to talk to you about? Uh, difficulty getting along with uh, other sailors, uh, marital problems, addiction? Yes. All of the above? All of the above. <laughs> Hardcore other. drugs, um, um, homosexuality, um, infidelity, uh, um, or uh, also I've had uh, uh, people who just want to talk. Uh, I just need somebody to talk to. Um, 
others uh, don't maybe don't have anything in common with their peer group, and uh, and they want to find uh, someone who can understand intellectually what they're going through. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, all of that, all of that has has come. But what you've chosen to do with your life is extremely generous. It must there must be some fulfillment in there, uh, some communion with. God, tell me what that's like to, to serve in the role that you're in right now. Very much, uh, and it's not unique, uh, I, I think. I mean, I, I want everyone to be able to have that level of fulfillment. So marriage is a vocation, right? So I want, I want someone who's married to be able to, to know the, the fulfillment of service. But they do that in their specific realm, which is maybe a little less public than, than mine. You know, So they, they should be feeling that fulfillment with their wife and their children or husband, as the case may be. Um, the the chaplain has that fulfillment on a much, I think, larger level. So in that respect, I guess it would be unique in, insofar as uh, everyone is um, living an imperfect life and, and has an imperfect family, and they call us father, because we can come into their family uh, seamlessly, be a, a small member of their family, a surrogate family, for a short period of time, Hopefully, affirm mom and dad, or hopefully, you know, help in some way, and then and then leave when the time comes, and let them be their family again. Uh, so to be father uh, is is a very fulfilling uh, thing for us. Um, yeah. Let's back up uh, and tell me about how you uh, entered the seminary. Where did you enter the seminary, and what was your seminary experience like? Um, see, uh, I I should back up a little bit even before that. I, I we visited Rome in. Um, 2006 on the Iwo Jima, and uh, I met a priest whom I asked to be my spiritual director. And this is when you were still a helicopter pilot. Correct. Okay. Yeah, right. So, so you were laid over in uh, Rome. Well. And okay, I got you. And met then, a port call, right? And then uh, really, that, that for me was a response to a romance. It, it was, I, I'd had distance relationships before, but uh, this wasn't uh, like pining for a woman from, you know, far away and writing love letters. It was something I could take with me. And, uh, so I, I realized uh, I was reading DeSales and uh, Francis DeSales, and I decided a, a spiritual director would be good in, in my life. And this priest was very um, engaging, he was charismatic, and I, I decided um, yeah, I, I should ask him if he would be my director, knowing that I would be moving so often, it would be via email. Uh, so we uh, walked uh, together spiritually for about the two years, uh, entered seminary at St. Vincent of Latrobe, did my philosophy there under the Benedictines, very good uh, program. Uh, I still keep in touch with them, um, and met a Franciscan Capuchin there. Uh, so for two years, uh, he was my spiritual director. When I was sent uh, on the theology, by coincidence, it happened to be back to the same college in Rome, and uh, he we resumed spiritual direction. The initial spiritual director. Now I'm walking with the Capuchin again, uh, who was a missionary for many years in Papua New Guinea, and he likens what I'm doing now, uh, and I didn't put this together as much as he did. Uh, to a mission. He says, you're starting a mission. When you go on these ships and you have low numbers for mass and you have uh, people who are asking basic questions about the faith and you need to enliven or invigorate the faith in them, you're doing what we did in Papua New Guinea. You're you're running a mission, except you're starting a mission. Uh, So it's very difficult to start it and then seven months later kiss it goodbye and start a new one. But uh, and so you, I can certainly understand that you don't always encounter a warm reception when you start. Sometimes, no. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so uh, you um, wound up in in seminary in Rome. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so, what was that like? Rome sounds like such a romantic place. Wonderful food, great wine. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and it is, it, it's, I don't want to take anything away from, uh, from that at all. Uh, but, um, it, it's more romantic, I think, to the people here. One, one thing that Rome, uh, does for those of us who are, are briefly expatriates, I guess you could say for that number of years, it was five years for me, uh, was make you appreciate your life in the States. Um, most of us, uh, really, uh, enjoy coming back. We take what we've learned there and apply it, uh, to what we have here in the States. Uh, so it's, uh. That's one sure thing that uh, I think all the all the classmates I had had in common is we, we want to be home. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I can share that feeling. I know from my experience living in Japan that uh, a lot of it, uh, uh, a lot of the uh, experience of it that I remember is looking at the United States from the outside looking in. Mm. So you're getting a whole different perspective on our country, even as you're you know living in another country and ex- experiencing it. Uh, so anyhow, so you uh, you're there five years in Rome, and and uh, what uh, theology you were studying there? Uh, so we do you know, your 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 basic theology degree that all kind of priests have uh, there. There's a, a commonality there, uh, but there's also the opportunity for a follow-on degree uh, in a timely manner. Uh, so for me, I studied uh, spiritual theology as a as a follow-on. So so by now you have how many degrees? Oh, uh, I. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you count flight school in that, but if you if you count flight school, then it's uh, 16 years of a formal education after high school. Mm. Yeah, so okay. That was, uh, well, uh, so for the young man out there uh, listening to this who thinks he might have a vocation, what's your advice? Well, listen, would be the number one uh, advice. Uh, you you can uh, bounce off uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Whether or not what you're hearing is from God, you know, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, really. Uh, and then, uh, even then, the angel of light uh, tries to d- distract us, right? The Satan disguise, disguised as the angel of light. So, uh, listening in prayer and then having someone you trust, like a spiritual director, help you discern, you know. Uh, the hardest part is before seminary, you're shouldering that discernment alone. During seminary, I relied on my formators. You tell me if I have a vocation. If not, I'll I'll leave and go on and do this. You know, <laughs> have a, a successful life. I'm sure, but uh, you tell me. You help me decide. And they kept telling you, yes, you have. A vocation. I suppose so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you said piqued my curiosity. How do you bounce something off the Holy Spirit? Ah, uh, well, uh, you know, in silence when we pray, God is not the only one who speaks to us. So the we're immersed in the world. A- Adam and Eve were distracted not by having their eyes closed, but by having them opened to, to the world. So uh, in several places in the gospel, uh, it says Satan is the prince of the world. Actually, four explicitly, and then several others, it's inferred. So um, uh, when we are praying, we're bombarded not only by the love of God in prayer, but also by the thoughts and distractions of the world. Um, so uh, uh, when we receive something in silence, that doesn't always mean it's from God. And it's very important to discern uh, it's from the Latin chenera uh, uh, to, to sift, you know, as so we sift through what, what is from God and what's not. So one of the ways we can know is from God is what are the fruits? Jesus says, you know, the tree by its fruits and the fruits of the Holy Spirit are going to are going are gonna to help us uh, know whether these uh, thoughts, feelings and prayers are, are voices from God. Father Bill Apple, former U.S. Marine helicopter pilot turned Catholic priest and Navy chaplain, now serving at Norfolk, Virginia. Father Apple, thank you so much for talking to me today. 